Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. Um, it's a good thing this is not a live podcast because we'd be 11 minutes late because we've just been chatting about things, um, various things. Uh, but we we're recently talking about, oh, first of all, as always, it's Aaron, Fredo, and Dave. Everybody say hi. Hi. And, uh, you know, we're st this is still our special quarantine edition. But, uh, uh, no, we we're talking about, we we're talking about the, the national treasure that is Dolly Parton. And uh, we won't get into that whole discussion. Uh, maybe if we ever have a Patreon, we'll put that discussion that we just had <laughs> as extra content. But, no, it brought me to the point of, I don't know if anybody's ever heard, somebody took the Dolly Parton song, Jolene, on a 45 and they slowed it down to 33 rpms and uh let's just see what y'all think of of this Right, right away, it sounds like who's the who's the guy that's playing with the Eagles now, the country star. I'm getting a little Roy Orbison vibe. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Yeah. Also, sounds like a duet. It makes me wonder: did she record too? tracks so yeah that's uh, that's just a little taste you can find that on on, on youtube uh yeah uh, but, actually what it what it reminded me of was i don't know if you ever heard of the song uh what's the name of it it's um uh the the world's the sun's gone dim and the, the sky's turned black by this former uh icelandic composer called johan johansson it's very mellow low I could see, put it this way, I could see that version of Jolene slow down like that, played like in a somber mood scene in a movie. Yeah, actually, who's the, gosh, who's the, it was in the 90s, it was the guy that I think he was in, was he in House of Pain? And then he went. Oh, Everlast? Everlast, Everlast. Yeah, that, that song that that song that he did, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like yeah. the same guitar group. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's just what's just, when I first heard this, I was like, that was just so awesome because you take the song that's up tempo and when you slow it down, um, it like just takes on a whole different, you know, um, mood and feeling. Was well, speeding up and slowing down LPs and uh, uh, wax singles like on 45s. It's like that the first remix that anybody ever learned how to do. Oh, you could make anything the chipmunks. It was awesome, you know. Right. <laughs> but. Uh, you know that too. Like Jolene was uh, recently passed across my radar again because of those two teenagers that are on YouTube, who, mm -hmm. who became yeah. like this sudden viral sensation because they listened um, to Phil Collins. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, they they listened to Jolene as well, and that was a really good one too. That was a good episode of theirs. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, yeah, it's just it. Uh, I can't remember who the guy is now. That these country artists that's playing with the Eagles. Um, 
kind of took Glenn Fry's spot. Anyway, this is not about Star Wars at all, but you know, we we're talking about <laughs> like said, the national treasure that is Dolly Parton. Um, but yeah, go on YouTube and find uh, um, Vince Gill. That's who it was. It sounded like Vince Gill, but you're right, Roy Orbison. Yeah. Um, Maybe we should start a hashtag Dolly Parton for Star Wars. You know, she could. <laughs> they need Maybe. a new queen. Well, there is another holiday special coming out. So, you know, B. Arthur's. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, uh, so, what do you, so now we just talked. We just played a little bit of Jolene and probably broke copyright laws. But no. <laughs> but, uh, what uh, What have you guys been doing to keep yourselves uh, busy? Besides, uh, I know Dave, your kids started school, and uh, so what kind God of beer, what kind of what kind of beer are you drinking tonight? I'm drinking Oktoberfest uh, <laughs> Shiner Oktoberfest. It was the one. Uh, brand that was available when we went looking about a week and a half ago. Um, it's good stuff. I, I like it. Uh, and it's very much necessary right now after uh, a week plus of uh, homeschooling. By the way, did we ever tell you, speaking of Oktoberfest, that's another thing that, you know, uh, New Orleans is missing out on as, you know, the wonderful Oktoberfest, you know, celebration that they, they had. But I mean, it's, I know we're not there yet, but anyway, I'm guessing it's been canceled. But uh, do we ever tell you about the, we went to Oktoberfest and there's a table full of the most liberal people you ever be around. And guess who came up to, uh, um, came up to a campaign? I can guess. David Duke. Yep. You were out in Canada, huh? It, yeah, it was, it was amazing that there was nobody in jail that night because it's like the most evil person on the planet came, you know, up to your table. And uh, it's like, good lord. Anyway, so now I'm going to need to have more of my IPA. Uh, yeah, I remember, I remember seeing him out there, and I was just like, you could totally tell the two or three guys were meant to be minders and/or uh, defenders in case anybody stepped up to his face, to his uh, cast for the friendly ghost looking face, because that dude's done stuff to himself. But anyway, uh, for myself, not done much. I mean, this week, uh, just try to keep sane with work and whatnot. Uh, but speaking of Oktoberfest, uh, you, you know, now you're going to give me the chance to talk about having been to uh, Oktoberfest in Munich, which was awesome. Oh, I, uh, I, re I recommend that it. it's something you have to do. Uh, be mindful that everybody, every American uh, tourist likes to wear lederhosen. It is not comfortable and it is not cheap. It's, like, it's about 400 euros for the authentic uh, German lederhosen set. It's just about $500. And you yeah. remember, you're you're wearing actual leather shorts all day long. And if you don't think it gets warm out there, actually, the two tips I would say is number one: you throw you baby powder all over your balls too to make sure that you better. <laughs> you better. Two things to keep in mind. Well, actually, I'll say three. Number one: if you're going, if you know you're going, and you want to seat at one of the tables in the tents, book early. You can you can sometimes make reservations ahead in advance. Because otherwise, tape, you know, the tents where they have all the breweries uh, have uh, they, you know, they had they sell out, and they cannot sell a beer to you unless you're seated at a table. Oh so wow! Tip number one. Tip number two. It's against the law to be drunk on the pass out drunk asleep on the street. So that's you need. Just, a, that's just kind of that's just kind of good policy everywhere, but yeah. Well, I mean, specifically during those times, because they do get. I mean, we went there and we walked around. And then we went to the Hofbrau house, and it's three stories of just drunk Americans, drunk uh, Germans, drunk 
uh, Polish, drunk Italians, drunk English guys, all over the world. They're all drunk and the whole floor is spilled beer everywhere. Um, but it's awesome because you're just singing. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, get a place that you can crawl back into, which is expensive. And I, then tip, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was going to say, I, I studied abroad in Germany and I didn't uh -huh. get to go. Um, I've been to the Hofbrau House. That was a that was a wonderful experience. Yeah. Um, everybody should do that at some point. But uh, no, I was a broke college kid, and a couple of my friends were like, "We're gonna go." And mm -hmm. so, like, it basically, they got on a train, uh, you know, rode over there, and once they get on the ground, they don't know what they're supposed to do. Uh, <laughs> they don't know where they go. They don't know where they're going to go. They don't know anything. They end up like, I think they ended up like sleeping on a park bench, you know, overnight because uh, there's no accommodations for anyone. You right, can't pop right. a train back because every train in and out is booked. Um, well, that's, that was that's a disaster. Other, that was going to be my other thing. If you're going to take a train, train, I mean, it's not like, uh, even though Munich is a modern city, Germany is a modern country, it is very much uh, at nine o'clock, the last train rolls out and we're done for the night. So if you're trying to catch a train, make sure you book your return trip wherever you came in on in advance, and be there a bit early because they will leave you. And when we, uh, I was saying with uh, some friends, including a friend of mine who's uh, stationed uh, out in uh, out in the south of uh, Germany, we're about two hours from Munich, and it was hilarious. We get on the train, and from the moment we get on the train, there's people just selling you beers. Here, you must drink, okay? You must drink. Get on to the, you get off the train, you walk to the grounds where they have all the festival, you drink there, and then you go to the Hofbrauhaus and you drink there, then you get back on the train. On the way back, they were just passed out college kids and tourists everywhere <laughs> on the seats, on the stairwells, on the floor. And Fredo, Fredo's from New Orleans and he's looking at everybody going, you wussies. I'm just like I'm just like I'm no I'm kind of glad that they have a curfew and the limit because those are the people who show up in New Orleans and they go I'm in danger. Well, that's why that's why you know that's first of all this here ends the segment uh, traveling with Fredo to Oktoberfest. Uh, <laughs> Tune in next week. But you know that's you know, we've talked about you know Mardi Gras. It's like you don't go buy high octane anything really. It's like you get a cooler full of. You know, you know, low alcohol, you know, beer, you know, because it's it's you're going to be a while. So, well, well, the problem is those Oktoberfest beers are not low alcohol, no. and you're drinking the big steins, you're bring, drinking Das Boots, and you're drinking several of them. And then, uh, if they, sometimes they'll make the special edition beers that are like twelve percent, fourteen percent stuff out there, and you get into that, and you're just taking a sharp lifter into I've 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 released all responsibilities for my life. You know so, those, those giant mugs, those giant glass mugs. You know, mm -hmm. those things are like they're a liter. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a liter of beer, and it's very strong beer. And you drink one of those, and you're and you know by the time you get to the bottom of that glass, it's it's warm. It's just it's, it's, it's not a, a pleasant experience. Yeah, it's. It's not good, you know. Everybody should do one of those things at least once, but mm -hmm. unless you unless you're ready to pound it, um, it's it's going to turn warm on you and 
and not be fun. You do it once and then you go, okay, can I take this home? And then you realize you just decided to take something that's probably about four or five pounds of nothing but hard glass with you. And then you regret it. But it's fun. It's it's something, it's kind of like Mardi Gras. You got to do it at least once for the fun. So before I ask uh, Dave what he's, I'm going to actually steer Dave down the uh, avenue of what I want him to talk about, how he's been spending his time by uh, reading a tweet. Holy crap balls are TVs, video games, tablets, and absolute lifeline after a day of schooling kids. A plus. What games would you recommend, Dave? And what beer would you recommend? For? <laughs> <laughs> that would be at Dave Gladow on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Oktoberfest this time of year, uh, absolutely. I was talking earlier, I was like, I go on a, a, a IPA fast uh, every time this year, um, this time of year, every year, because it's just, you don't want to mess, I don't want to mess with an Octo a good Oktoberfest by getting my palate all screwy. So um, I just, I love this time of year. I love that beer. Um, highly recommend um it's a very good gateway beer, too. Like, if you've been drinking the crap, you're a Budweiser fan or whatever, you're all in on that. Um, a good German Oktoberfest is a really good gateway beer for you to start experiencing other stuff. All right, so this is how, this is how Aaron became a beer snob because I was that trash Bud Light guy until um, probably – 15 years ago maybe a little bit no actually about 20 years ago um because i started playing with this irish band and we were playing at a local brew pub and i was like such strict bud light guy um and if i wanted a beer i had to drink the beer that was at this microbrewery and so i started drinking his stuff and i start and then i was like it was like every gig it just got a little bit darker and I used to be so anti-Guinness, and now Guinness is the most wonderful thing in the world to me. It's just you know, so I love porters. I love I love dark beers, um, but it was it was out of necessity that I turned into a, a beer snob. But you know, it's kind of funny because Brit really likes sours, and and so it's like, and I like a sour every now and again. But it's like when you're drinking an IPA, and somebody says, "Here, try this beer," whatever it is, it's Ooh. like. No, it's going to be like you just drank orange juice after brushing your teeth. That's going to be awful. So it's like you got to drink half a glass of water before you can appreciate the other beer that you're trying. So I understand the IPA fast. Um, so what uh, what video games goes along with an Oktoberfest? Nate has like gotten into Super Mario Galaxy 2, which was a game that we'd bought when we got our Wii, like, you know, ages ago, but it just sat on the shelf and nobody played it. And so Nate got into it. So now I've been playing that with him. So we're, we're working our way through super Mario galaxy too. So, uh, as I said, I got a, you know, I got a switch not too long ago. Um, and I, I bought a new game and I bought, uh, uh, smash brothers, uh, the smash brothers ultimate or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, I've never played that game before either. It looked fun. I knew the premise of it, but I'm realizing why it's called Smash Brothers because I just smash <laughs> keys down and hope that I win. That's kind of the way. Is is that why it's named that? <laughs> In a way. I mean, to be honest, it's that's one of those games where the best way is to play with three other people because it's just no, it's uncontrolled chaos. 
All right, well, then let's get some Joy-Cons and we'll get you guys over here. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just nonstop. Okay, did you knock me over or did I fall over or what the heck happened at the end? Somebody wins and nobody was, knows who won. I was sitting on the couch laughing. I'm like, I'm just smashing buttons. I said, I don't have any idea what I'm doing. It's just <laughs> Mario's flying around beating the junk out of people. Uh, but the other thing that we're doing is Brittany and I have started binging Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, oh, fun. And we're hopelessly addicted to that show now. We're almost done with the first season. We started um, earlier this week. Um, and it's, uh, I, but what's tough is we're trying to, I, I like need to have a cheat sheet to figure out how it aligns with the MCU timeline. I sent uh, Scott Colesby, who was on the, the podcast and a friend of ours, um, a text saying we're watching Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and he said, yeah, they jumped the shark around season four when they break from the MCU timeline. So like I said, I'm going to have to get out my cheat sheet and start lining things up. But it's it's really good. It's a really good show and I'm glad I didn't have to wait a week between episodes. So, <laughs> so that's what I've been doing is Switch and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, all right. Well, uh, let's go on to uh, trivia. I got my three cards and I'm shuffling uh, Fredo, we're going to start with you tonight. Okay. All right. So, who says of Luke Skywalker he could destroy us? Hmm. I'm that's, a tricky, that's a tricky one. Yeah. I'm thinking of the scene. I'm thinking. Uh, I'm going to say it's Emperor Palpatine and Empire. It is Emperor Palpatine. Yes, it is. Because then uh, Darth Vader goes, if he could be turned. He'll be a powerful ally. That is right. Hey, by the way, I started also reading the new Darth Vader comic where he like goes back to Tatooine and apparently next episode, he, next issue, he goes to Naboo. He's finding all the people who made Luke weak. So it happens right after Empire. So it's kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, Sounds good. All right, Dave, your question. What species are the gangsters who dominate the economy of Tatooine? Oh, come on. Really? <laughs> uh, he, does, he deserves this question after the week he's had. Oh, well, it would be the huts. It would be the huts. That, yeah. that's, <laughs> I still say that's the Disney uh, Plus series that I want. Is And we talked about earlier is like a, a crime underworld type of thing and have a lot of the huts and the pikes and the, you know, Crimson Dawn, stuff like that. That'd be good. <laughs> We've never seen a pike in live action, right? No. Well, yes, yes, in Solo. Oh, that's right. That's okay, right. Well, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's who Kira uh, kills, you know, on Kessel. Mm -hmm. All right. So, all right. I must, that was too easy. I just skipped over that one. Sorry. Who tells Obi Wan Kenobi, I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe? It's a very well acted scene. Oh, is that sarcasm <laughs> I smell? I just remember you mentioning you, that you did not like the acting in this. It is. It's awful. It's Django Fett. <laughs> um, all right. Three easy questions for tonight. Uh, Fredo was the only one with a slight curveball. Right. Because that could have been any number of characters, but it really wasn't. So now that we are 20 minutes in, we have talked about Dolly Parton. We have talked about beer. Thanks. We've talked about Oktoberfest. We just started into the Star Wars talk. So if you're still hanging with us, uh, good on you. Um, but that's that's what this, you know, 
when we originally made this podcast, it was, yeah, based basically going to be Star Wars stuff, but I think it's anything that just kind of nerds us out. Um, but let's go into the deep end of Star Wars and let's uh, go to Fredo with the news. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, there's a few bit of news, nothing major, but uh, I will, a few things that are interesting. So first things first, uh, on in about five days or four days by the time you hear this podcast, uh, so Tuesday, October, August 25th, uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars, Stories of Light and Dark is going to be uh, released, which is a book consisting of tales from various characters set during the Clone Wars. So characters such as uh, Asajj Ventress, Anakin, Padme, Obi-Wan, Cat Bane, Count Dooku, they're all going to be having a chapter in their story. The interesting aspect is they got, for the audiobook, they got... Corey Burton, Mika Futterman, Matt Lantern, Catherine Tabor, James Arnold Taylor, and Sam Whitworth. In other words, they actually got the cast, most of the cast, if not all the cast, from Star Wars The Clone Wars to read their chapters. So that's going to be... So if you're, if you're thinking of getting a version of it, I might recommend the audiobook. I know that StarWars.com released an excerpt from Sam Whitworth's uh, Mole chapter. And they were interviewing him about it. He said, okay, so how do you do the voice of Maul? And he says, I'm, he's usually influenced by Palpatine. Then he just has, tries to put it as to where in the timeline he's acting that scene. So That sounds cool. And actually, that would be a good audiobook to, to get. Mm -hmm. It would be entertaining. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they got 11 stories by 11 authors, including Lou Anders, Greg Van Ikut, Tom Engelberger, Soraya Cordova, etc. Uh, in story, they're going to retell memorable episodes and arcs, including one original Night Sisters based story. So, as I said, it comes out, comes out this upcoming Tuesday, the 25th. And we'll be talking about the Night Sisters later. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and we don't have to dwell on this too much, but it's like, you know, the Clone Wars used to be this uh, kind of tightly you know, guarded, it was, it was just, it was this kind of guarded secret among Star Wars fans really. And now it's become almost the entire inspiration for the current Star Wars mythos, really. Mm -hmm. It's, it's gone from being something that you didn't know about to being kind of a central tenant. Like if you ask most Star Wars fans from 99 to today, so most of the ones who grew up with the prequels grew up, have grown up with the sequels. Really, it's Clone Wars that's in that when you they think Star Wars. It's less so the original trilogy. It's the connective tissue right now, that's for sure. So mm -hmm. cool. All right. Uh, next bit of news, uh, another bit of news regarding uh, publishing. So Timothy Sun is uh, going to be releasing uh, the first of his new Thrawn trilogy of novels called Thrawn Ascendancy. The first book comes out called Chaos Rising on, I believe it's in October that's supposed to be coming out. Uh, and I'm sorry, early September. So anyway, uh, for September, they're going to have a uh, an online kind of a Zoom event uh, where they're going to, where the uh, publisher for Delray Books is going to be interviewing Timothy Zahn. Uh, they're going to be discussing on September 4th the 30th anniversary of Heir to the Empire, and dear God, I can't believe I'm saying 30 years, but yeah, 30 <laughs> years anniversary. Uh, and they're going to be discussing Thrawn and this new trilogy that he's coming up and discussing uh, the character of. So 
that's coming up pretty soon. Uh, on an interesting note, if you order, they're supposed to have like a special edition of that book where it's all like, uh, like it's got blue highlights and like the, the pages of the first of the special edition are all in uh, border in blue to, you know, call back to Thrawn. But you can't get it everywhere. You can only get it on the first edition. So if you order, if you're looking to pre-order, that's the one to pre-order. Aaron, is your wife a big uh, first edition type of fan or is she just an avid reader? Just an avid reader. Um, yeah. She doesn't have many first editions now it's um you know i think i think i think if i could ever get her like a first edition of gatsby she would be you know just thrilled um but uh no i, I mean that's that's really not you know not her style right so. right yeah uh, i think it would be cool for this one just because of the whole blue uh, border thing is is really beautiful looking print. Yeah, edition, right? Yeah. Now, would, would, that... would would she want a first edition Star Wars book? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> unless unless Daniel Jose older like you know or you know Brittany Williams delivered it on our front doorstep, maybe you know. <laughs> um, hint hint. Yeah, just just a bit of a fan. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so next bit of news, and this one will be quick. Uh, Ludwig Goransson was being interviewed by Deadline uh, regarding, uh, well, he's composed the music for the Christopher Nolan new movie, Tenet, that keeps unfortunately getting pushed back. And they asked him about scoring season one and season two of The Mandalorian. And for season one, he didn't really go into much more detail than we haven't seen already from Disney Gallery. So like the moment when he play that the Mandalorian theme to John Favreau and Bryce Dallas Howard mentioned it, but discussing season two, he says, we started a couple of months ago. I'm extremely excited. John, meaning John Favreau is taking the story into places that I didn't know existed. And I think it's so fun. It, it sounds like they're like doing peyote in the can in the California desert. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, if you read the full interview, when it, when he describes his process for creating music, it kind of feels like that. Yeah. Like a whole I told you my story about the compo you know, the composition majors, you know, in my when I was getting my music undergrad. It they they all look like they all went out to, you know, the prairies and just kind of found themselves. I don't know. Um, no it was it was interesting to me that he got tapped for Tenet because um, that that you know uh, Nolan had such a relationship with Zimmer. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they've been together now for what almost fifteen years. Yeah, and uh, so for him to depart and and pick this guy, you know, I mean, and that says a lot right there. And obviously, we we all like his work with Mandalorian and Black Panther. Mm -hmm. Thank Creed. Thank Creed. So anyway, uh, yeah. uh, moving on right quick, actually speaking of Mandalorian, uh, they had a big old interview with Dave Filoni and John Favreau over at uh, Hollywood Reporter, and they were asking him a bunch of stuff like, you know, what it, you know, the, the sacrifice that, it made, that they made to keep the child, the, your baby Yoda, a secret, because that meant that when everybody turned around asking for merch, there was none. And it's funny because Every other bit of news story this last week or so was this. You're getting the Baby Yoda nightlight. You're getting a Baby Yoda uh, Funko. You're getting a Baby Yoda planter. Merchandising, merchandising, yeah. 
it's you know if you didn't if you didn't get anything last year this year you're gonna get everything baby yoda uh they did ask him about the the, the mysterious figure at the end of episode five and they say feloni's answer was we try to layer in things in the universe of star wars to make it feel authentic but also give a little nod and clues that can be small or large and so uh, our things are always a little more in universe you know we keep our eyes open for things that we like or connected things that might mean something to people like us uh which is interesting uh, he didn't he didn't specify that it was no he didn't identify who that was and then but discussing they asked him two big questions like what did george lucas say about the mandalorian and he said dave filoni is like not a tremendous amount we talk about other stuff usually he was complimentary but if Dave Filoni says, usually when I'm talking to George, I'm more trying to pick his brain as to what should I do regarding shooting a scene or... Yeah, it sounds like it's more, it's more technical in nature. It's more about the craft rather than, you know, what the, you know, trying to get praise for what they released. Um, I would imagine that George Lucas would be tough to talk to. I mean, he's... he's he, yeah, for all, I mean... It, probably a really nice guy, but he's just really guarded, just really an introvert, just really, I think it'd be just tough. And so it's like, yeah, if you get him, get him rolling, you probably don't want to deviate from your, uh, your topic. Uh, there's always a story back when he was a young up and coming director and he, and you know, it said, you know, they always said that it said a lot that in their group of fellow directors that include Scorsese, Spielberg, John Milius and Brian De Palma, that the one that was the weird one was George. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not Brian De Palma, it's not John Millions. It's no George Lucas is the weird kooky guy. So uh, and then they asked him about how they're gonna be able to, you know, if the virtual sets are helping to make a potential third season a possibility. And so uh I think John Farrell is a bit caged about admitting about making anything. Ooh. You know, it says the amount of people near the cameras could be smaller. We shoot a lot outside. A lot of people com controlling the the virtual sets are doing it remotely. So they're doing what they call the brain bar, which is a pack of gaming computers. So they're using cinematic tools that allows them. It says a lot of the times the actor you're seeing on screen aren't actually there on set. So fingers crossed that may helps make the next season of uh, Mandalorian easier to make. Yeah, I mean, if you think about the restrictions due to COVID-19 mm -hmm. and, and trying to get people on set together, even figuring out the logistics of that are difficult. Um, so if they have the ability to just superimpose people in a scene, um, I could see where that would be useful. But, I mean, one of the things we've talked about has um, in praise of, of the show has been how they don't have to rely so much on like blue screen or green screen. Mm -hmm. um, everybody can kind of act together, act off one another in the same room, react to what they're seeing. Um, all of those little subtle things made a difference for the actors and, and, and the final product. And so I'm a little wary of, of hearing like, oh, the actors don't even have to be on stage together because flashbacks to 2001 and 2002 yeah no now yeah. I'm, I'm feeling an uh, attack of the clones uh, that's what i mean yeah yeah 
no, but what's also interesting is, I mean, the uh, Hollywood Reporter was already discussing season three, and I'm like, that may be putting the cart before the horse. They're trying to bring season two into the barn, so to speak. And then you figure that he's got to take a break, do other stuff. They're going to be committed to uh, the interview except, circuit. Except before they even released uh, season one, we had known that they were already working on season two. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that was, so, I mean. But my other question is, you know that Cassian Andor and Kenobi, are technically speaking, the next ones to come out. I wonder if they'll try to get those done before they start ramping up production on um, Mandalorian Season 3. That's a fair point. I mean, yeah. Again, again you know, the good thing is they have a home for all the Star Wars product. They know that people, there's an appetite for it. They know they want to push it. I mean, Disney Plus is finally going to premiere in Latin America this fall. So they're getting everywhere. But it's more along the lines of, do the, you know, give, you know, even Disney with all its money can't, you know, has, has to line stuff together. And it can't just say, here's a billion, go go do your stuff. So, you know, scripts got to get written, sets got to be built, uh, the whole nine. And then uh, last bit of news, and actually, uh, speaking still about Mandalorian, so Giancarlo Spacito, who's been doing the interview circuit for a number of things, was being uh, discussing, and I'm trying to remember when I'm trying to find where is it that uh, he was being interviewed, but what's interesting is, and uh, he was discussing, and this comes from Gizmodo, uh, discussing the nature of being a villain or a person of color among Star Wars villains. And it's an interesting point that the article makes that, you know, even when we got the Thrawn trilogy back in the 90s, there was a point to be made that even though Thrawn was a brilliant tactician, a genius admiral, etc., that there was a distance between himself and the rest of the Imperial officers because he was an alien. You know, a lot of, copying a lot of the nature of fascist dictatorships that they tend to be uh, speak of racial purity. But uh, so talking about it to uh, Giancarlo, he says, it means a lot to me because I've strived in my career to be colorless. I'm a person of mixed races, half Italian, half African-American. I learned how to do Spanish accents to play Spanish street characters who were often typecast, you know, and I grew through a period of time where I was relegated to playing thieves and thugs. So I used to play murderers, killers, robbers, the like. So it's a crowning moment for me to get a phone call from John Favreau say, I wrote a role specifically for you. But then it's also saying um, that he's captivated by the idea of the wonder and enthusiasm that about what Moff Gideon could be. And he says, someone who has an understanding of what race and status means here in America, and I suffered of that as well. You know, my Hollywood family has gone throughout the years to become more and more understanding that we are special because actors are actors saying you have to be a specific color to play a role. So it's interesting that he's thinking about those things. And he, he ends saying, uh, you know, for him, things like fascism can be colorless because it boils down to power and money. That's deep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he made it um he made it to the title of Moth, this character did. Um so he obviously um rose through the ranks. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm just gonna say, however, there's stuff we don't know there because you know the Empire is for all intents and purposes like dead, so it's just like is the highest ranking person then just okay, I'm Moth. But yeah. yeah. 
Oh, I, so, you know, and, uh, you know, is it different than Grand Moff, too? <laughs> yeah. But the only, I mean, but, you know, the only thing is, sure, the Empire was uh, all white guys, mm -hmm. but the only thing that was ever really written about, and so the, the, the idea of prejudice um, and, and racism was obviously there, mm -hmm. but it was always towards the alien, it was always towards aliens. Aliens and robots, by and large, right. But then, but, but, of course, Star Wars is a, is really, 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 really white, at least back <laughs> back then, you know, in the original trilogy. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think, I mean, it's it's not that it's overt, but it's, I mean, when you look at the Rebel Alliance and it's got white guys and women and people of color and aliens, whereas the Empire is all, you know, all white, all white dudes in very crisp black outfits or gray outfits. You know, it almost call it calls to that difference without being overt about it. And I think that's one of the interesting things that the article also points is that there's been kind of a shift ever since Disney brought Star Wars that they don't necessarily want to shift away from it, but that they're willing to have villains of color and villains who are female in their Star Wars. You know, whether it's Captain Phasma or even something as characters like uh, like Finn who start off as a stormtrooper, so technically speaking, a bad guy, but he rebels against it. So, but I find it interesting that Giancarlo is thinking about all those things uh, and bringing all of that into the character of Gideon. Because you're right, Dave's right. I mean, we don't know. I mean, he said in past interviews that there is a background that he shares with the Darksaber, that it's a history that we don't know that we're going to explore in season two. So I wonder if all of that's playing in his mind as he's performing the role, you know, could be an interest there's there's potential ground to mine with that you know like did he did he manage to beat the odds and rise through the ranks similar to thrawn and and what was that like and how does that shape his character now um was he only able to rise through the ranks after the emperor empire fell um and at that point uh, was able to establish himself and um, be, because, you know, at that point, everybody's just kind of out for themselves and the whole thing's falling apart and they can't hold on to those kinds of um, stereotypes and uh, bigotry that they, that they once held on to. You know, there's, there's potential mm -hmm. in that. Um, I don't know if any of it will be overtly talked about, but like you said, it's it's kind of cool that the actor is thinking in those terms, and it creates a dynamic where Kathleen. You know, here's the thing. He obviously John Favreau worked with Giancarlo Esposito before. Uh, I think they they worked together in the Jungle Book, actually. Uh, but then, you know, so when he can, when he's writing this role, he's already said this is what I have in mind. So he knows the Giancarlo style, and he knows what he's asking to do. He knows he can deliver on this. Uh, but it's also interesting because. When you bring some, you know, this goes to the whole idea of representation. If you bring an actor, a creator of color, somebody who has, has a different background experience, they're going to bring those experiences into your Star Wars, and it's going to create a whole new dynamic or whole new palette of ideas that can springboard you into a thousand different ways. You're not necessarily tapped tapped into the same beats that you know, kind of started the whole thing. So on a, on, a, on a tangent, as we're, we're talking about this, because now as I'm, you know, addicted to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., 
Um, do do we think that Ming Na Wen's uh, uh, character in the Mandalorian? Do we think she's dead? Hmm. How do you how do you get? I mean, that was that was if if so, that's a lost opportunity on a character, you know. I mean, put it this way: I'm trying. I mean, remembering the episode, the way it's, it was played. What, what was her name? Uh, Fennec. Yeah, Fen Fen Rao. No, no, Fen Rao. No. That's <laughs> definitely Rao. not Fen Rao. Yeah, no, yeah, it was like Fen Fennec Shan or something like that. Yeah, and, you know, but uh, she gets shot by the guy that by the gunslinger, so to speak, and they go off after one another after the Mandalorian, and she just gets left there, and then. Sometime later, the person with the spurs shows up, but you don't know if that's a moment later, an hour later, a day later. So, I mean, by the fact that you're playing with time, you could leave it open-ended for her to end up in the back of the tank and come back in some ways. I mean, Darth Maul came back. By the way, and I will just say this, you just assume that the gunslinger is the guy that uh, the Mandalorian was riding around with. Well, the, gun, call, the gunslinger well, might be the person at the end. Well, that's all went in quotation marks. The kid, you know, the kid that uh, that man that Mando's uh, supposedly hunting with. But it, it goes to a point of that's when you know you're playing with time, and again, this is Star Wars. That's that, but that uh, so okay. So we're not here to talk about Mandalorian all that much, but I, I still think the gunslinger in that episode. I'm 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 going to put fifty cents on the table that it's it's not. Um, the guy who was the trying to get into the guild that, you know, I don't think that's the gunslinger. I think the gunslinger, and I don't think at the end, I don't think that's Boba Fett either. Cad Bane. I think it's Cad Bane. I think it's Cad Bane because he was a gunslinger. He was more cowboy than any bounty hunter. And I think that would be, I, I think that's the gunslinger. And he's, he's a Filoni character. Yeah. You know, but like I, you know, I, I agree with you in the sense that like most of the titles, if not all of them, had a double meaning or even a triple meaning. And I thought that was clever. Um, and that's one of the ones, you know, the gunslinger. You could you could read that so many different ways. Um, and it, it kind of, I don't know, it, it really sort of speaks to a, a very deliberate, approach with all of this that I appreciate a lot. They're thinking about these things. They're right. They're mapping this stuff out. They're writing it out. Um, and, and off we go. So, all right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll find out more, I suppose. So Fredo, thanks for the news. Next time I want it from the, the who Dat Jedi, uh, podcast helicopter today in the news. <laughs> Uh, sorry, Les Nessman. Anyway, okay. Uh, so tonight, what we're going to be talking about is uh, we're getting back into our Rebels uh, retrospective. And we're in season three. Um, we got some talking points we want to go over. Um, uh, but quickly, I'll just remind everybody. First of all, spoiler alert: we're not going to hold back here, so we're not going to say. And when that guy shows up, and when this thing happens, we're not we're not going to talk in code. We're going to spoilerific here. So if you haven't seen it, then hit stop, go watch it, and then come back. Um, but anyway, so let's just quickly um, 
the episodes. You have first two are Steps into Shadow, part one and two. That's basically when uh, Ezra and the team break out um, um, Hondo and they try to get Y-Wings and um, we get introduced to Thrawn, right? Um, and then episode three is the Holocrons of Fate. Maul is back and he wants something from Ezra. Um, the uh, Antilles instruction is number four. That's when Sabine goes undercover to try to get Wedge and Hobby out of, um, to get them to defect from the Empire. Um, Hera's Heroes, uh, that's Hera's back on her home world and working with her father, Cham Sendula. And we see, uh, what are blurgs? They ride blurgs. Um, but anyway, so they help with their rebellion on um, what's, what's the planet? Ryloth, uh, Ryloth, I get for yeah, yep. Um, the last battle. Um, this was a, uh, a flashback to the Clone Wars, and actually, flashback is quite. I mean, you know, Rex is having PTSD the whole time, but there he's having to go up against a uh, a tactical battle droid. Is that what it was? Um, and it's so that's um, kind of an interesting, like I said, Clone Wars throwback. Um, Episode seven was Imperial Super Commandos. That's when we uh, find out that there are Mandalorians working for the Empire. And um, this is a big Fen Rao, Sabine uh, episode. The Iron Squadron. Um, yeah, I don't know how to how to even like characterize this. I'll read what it says on Disney Plus. The rebels assist a young hotshot pilot and his crew. And that's about the extent of it. Um, so the next one is the Wade Canthu job. And they're again, they're working with Hondo to um, to get some special uh, cargo off of a cargo ship. Um, number 10, an inside man it says Kanan and Ezra infiltrate an Imperial factory. So when they're on uh, Lothal and they're sabotaging speeder bikes and such, um, and it's where Thrawn's tied was it tied defender? Yeah, tied mm -hmm. defender is being made. Uh, Eleven Vision and Voices. This is uh, they go back to um, uh, Dathomir and Ezra and Maul do, and um, the ghosts of the Night Sisters come into play. Um, so a lot of witchcraft going on in this one. Uh, episodes 12 and 13 are the ghosts of Geonosis, and we get to see Saw Gerrera, voiced by, um, oh, good Lord. Forrest, Forrest, Forrest Whitaker. Whitaker. Yeah, just lost his name. Forrest Whitaker. Um, so, and we get to see um, the, the, oh, I, I should just stop talking. Um, but anyway, we're, we're back on Geonosis, and uh, we're getting clues to the Death Star. Um, 14 is Warhead. That is uh, just some mysterious probe droid that is like major assassin running, ha wreaking havoc on their on their base. Um, number 15 is Trials of the Dark Saber. This is when Sabine is training with Kanan, and we'll definitely be talking about this episode later. Um, number 16, The Legacy of Mandalore. Sabine goes back to her home planet to try to get her mother and brother and family and other Mandalorians to join the cause. 17, through Imperial eyes, this is when uh, we're trying to get uh, get Callus. Callus is Fulcrum. 
Yeah, there's your first spoiler. Kyle's fulcrum. We're trying to break him out of the imperial, uh, the imperial uh, um, ranks and get him to with, be with us. Um, Eighteen is secret cargo, and it is a, an episode with Mon Mothma, and we we might talk about that one a little bit later. They're trying to get her from point A to point B. We get to see Y wings and Gold Leader, so that's kind of fun. Uh, episode nineteen is double agent droid. And that's when Chopper and AP5 are kind of doing a uh, Laurel and Hardy thing, you know, on a, and who is the, uh, the guy who voices Olaf? Um, oh, Josh Gad. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's the Lobot guy who's, who's on to them. No, episode 20 is twin sons. And we get to see old Ben Kenobi and we get the, he and Maul uh, showdown. Definitely, definitely we'll be talking about this one. Definitely be talking. Well, that's one of the talking points. Um, and then 21 and 22 are zero hour part one and part two. And that's when Thrawn figures out where the rebels are and starts to his attack. Um, and so those are the episodes just very quickly. So there's, what do we say? 22 episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, typical TV season. Um and uh, so what was, I'll just throw the question out there. What would, what do you think the overall of season three, what's its overall theme, overall purpose in the whole grand scheme of rebels? I have my thoughts, but I'll let you start with you guys. Afredo, what do you think? What's the overall? I think in many ways, season three is the, it's an expansion of the show. You know, by now we are way beyond where season no, where this show started at season one. Season one is very much the ghost in Lothal and they're a rebel cell and they're not doing anything. By this point now, they're connected to the larger rebel alliance that's forming. So in some ways, this is the, the step that takes the show and connects it to the rest of the Star Wars uh, story that we know because we're seeing characters we're seeing ships we're hearing of locations i mean we get to see mon mothma we get to hear goal leader we talk about y wings we, we hear about going to dantooine and uh so the idea becomes that in this season the rebels or the crew of the ghost are no longer just a tiny rebel cell kind of just doing their own thing in their own corner of the galaxy they have now joined the larger fight and because they've joined the larger fight we also get to see the Empire kind of bring a larger presence to try to stop them in the form of throne. Dave, what do you think? What do you think the uh, overall I, uh, one was? I would liken the season three to The Last Jedi in that it wraps up a lot of loose ends preemptively so that season four can just kind of creatively do what it wants to do. Um, You had the whole Ezra subplot of him flirting with the dark side and flirting with Maul. We had Maul as a character. Um, Those two uh, storylines got wrapped up. Um, The interesting stuff with the Bendu um we got a a reasonable conclusion to that here um 
It just felt like a lot of the kinds of really interesting questions that we might have had at the end of season two uh, get answered here. Not everything. <laughs> um, like, what happened to Ahsoka? You know, we're going we're gonna to find more out about that later on. But, um, yeah, I just, I really, uh, I feel like in, in a lot of ways it's, it's, it's attempting to do what Last Jedi was attempting to do, which is, okay, well, we're going to tie, close some of these mystery boxes up so that we have storytelling freedom to just do what we want to do in season four. See, and for me, um, well, yes, this is a, a series that, I mean, yeah, it's about the ghost crew, but really Rebels is Ezra's story. And we are now in the the cave on Dagobah in this in this in this season. Uh, this is every episode has some link to the dark side. I mean, you got Ezra throwing people off of you know walkers off of cliffs. He's playing with the Sith holocron. He's with Maul a lot. You know the I mean the the Empire is heavy here. I mean Thrawn brings a you know, Callus was a nice mustache twirly, you know, villain. Thrawn is just, I wouldn't even say evil. He's just, uh, I don't know. It's, it, it he's just in, it, incredible as a, as a villain. Um, but ever, there is not like a really a lighthearted episode here. I mean, everything is dark. Everything is um, just, everything is going wrong. You know, we're going to try to get Sabine's family. Nope, not going to join you. You know, um, I'm going to try to learn, you know, you've got Sabine dealing with her demons. You got, you know, Kanan dealing with, you know, he's doubting himself. Um, I mean, I, I keep hearing Sympathy for the Devil, the song in in my head, you know, with this with this se with this season. So uh, it's definitely the darkest. And it's my if there, if there is a season that I go to to watch it, it's it's, it's season three. I think this is one of the one of their best seasons. Um, however, what's interesting is that a lot of people said that there was there's a lot of um, filler or throwaway episodes, and maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but uh, man, everything's. I think the overall the overall theme for this for me is that how, how to deal with the dark side. That's what's mm -hmm. going on. That's what that's kind of what I think. Um, Fredo, I mean, I like that. Oh yeah, go ahead, Fredo. No, just gonna say in, in terms of what you're saying, I think that's the reason why people, you know, number one, there's not too many light light episodes, and number two, why people don't necessarily like the throwaway episodes, so to speak. And I'm doing the inverted quotes uh, comments in in a visual form in an audio medium. But that idea of anything that takes away from the story at this point, you're committed to the story and you want to see it through. So any oh, wow. deviation. You know, just be like, no, no, get me back to the story. I know we're, I know we're in the dark, in the cave, and you know, you just want to power on through. But we are a long way from Hera sending Zeb and Ezra to get a Meluron. You know, yeah, we are a maybe. long ways from that. Dave, what were you going to say? Oh, I, you know, I was going to say too that it, um, it has a sense of a beginning and an end to it too, which I like. You know, when we we look at the movies in that sense, when you talk about is it part of an overall saga, right? Episodes one through nine, how well does it work as a standalone movie, but also how 
how well does it work as part of the saga? And I think about this season in those terms um, because at the beginning of this season, you have a lot of, again, and you have a lot of loose ends. You have a lot of um, things that you're wondering and, uh, and curious about. Again, with, with, with respect to Ezra, especially because of that flirtation with the dark side, like you said, throwing walkers off of cliffs and things, at the in episode one of this season to getting to the point of we have a major conflict at the end and we emerge maybe not victorious but we emerge with our lives we survive we live to fight another day the mandalorian subplot kind of comes to um satisfactory conclusion at least for the for the season's purposes um so there's a lot here like if you were to sit down and say, "Well, I want to watch a season of Rebels," if you if you picked this season, you would have a a really good arc from the first episode to the last episode. Well, and if you think about it, it's uh, if you think about all four four seasons as well. And we'll talk about you know the the fourth season in another episode. But really, you know the the first two. First one, we're getting to know everybody. The second one, you really have Ezra starting to embrace. Um, you know, this path of the Jedi. But, and then, like I said, season three is filled with every every single of our, every one of our main characters are dealing with selfishness, with um, naivete, with, um, you know, it's it's about me, me, me. You know, I mean, Kanan is, is wallowing in self-pity. Um, and he's having to find, you know, we'll get talk about the Bendu later, but he's trying to find his way again. You know, Ezra is like, like I said, he's flirting with the dark side. You got Sabine who's dealing with her and, and Hera both who are dealing with their family issues. Um, and then, you know, I feel bad for Zeb. Zeb kind of gets, he's just, we'll give him an episode <laughs> to chase around the, the, uh, um, the Ralph McQuarrie droid. Yeah, the Ralph McQuarrie droid. You know, so, um, and that's, so, and this is actually the season where you get so frustrated with Ezra because he's just like, why, why do you keep making dumb decisions? But, you know, he's a teenage kid, you know, with a, with a Sith holocron. So, if I was, if I was going to compare it to, say, Harry Potter, this is book five. This is Order of the Phoenix for Ezra. This is when he's at his most hormonal, emotional, uh, angsty, emo, whatever terminolo terminology you want to use in terms of a young person coming to terms with the world and trying to find their own way. Because that's what some of the interesting aspects of the series, of the season, is that he gets challenged by the various people around him, not just uh, Kanan or Hera, but his interactions with uh, Saul Guerrero, his interactions with Maul, his interactions with the Bendu, all of them put him in positions where he's got to kind of come to a fork in the road and decide who he's going to be. So what do we, uh, what do we think was, was there any big surprises in this season? Anything that, that caught you? Well, the Walker bit and in, in episode one where he just callously murders people. I mean, like that's just, uh, that's shocking. At the, you were like, no, dude. <laughs> no. I think we all verbalized that. No, don't do that. No, you know better. And uh, so, like, that, 
it was shocking to just see. I know that they, they took a major loss um, in Twilight of the Apprentice, um, but it was really just sort of shocking to see where all the characters were at the start of this season. At least for me, that was that was the big one. Um, you know, it's... I'm trying to think. You know, Twin, twin Sons... Uh, kind of came out of left field for me when I first saw it. Um, wasn't expecting that. I, 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 <laughs> I just, that, that I'll, episode, I'll leave it at that for now, but yeah. Yeah. That episode, actually, I, I think we, it, that episode was, you know, definitely Filoni wanting to tell a story that was tangentially related to everything that he's done. And he wanted to seal up the mall Obi-Wan thing, but you know, it had really nothing to do with rebels, except that Ezra was just being a putz. But anyway, Fredo, what was yeah. a big surprise for you? I think two 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 things were kind of surprising for me. The one, the first big one was, and it goes to the character of Thrawn, was how meticulous they made him, because it would have been real easy to make him a cartoon character. I mean, he is a cartoon character, so to speak, in terms of uh, you know, it's a the medium, but no. He is a very meticulous, precise, you know, thinking creature. He's a he's a he's a character that's always exuding control. And even when he loses, even when you think, oh hey, the 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 rebels got away, there's always that last final scene in an episode where where uh, the Imperials are like, I can't believe they got away. And it's like, it's not a problem. You know, there's no losing for him. If they capture them, great. If not, he's learned more to get closer to them. And I, I'm, all, I'm always surprised when they give when we get complex villains like that. Because there's a there's the episode when uh, when uh, Hera goes to Ryloth to try to uh, rescue the Calicori, the family heirloom, and the disdain that which most Imperials have for uh, alien art and whatnot. No, Thrawn does not have it. He respects it. He recognizes its inherent value, but also its value to people like Hera. So I think that it's always surprising. It's always a good thing whenever you see a complex villain like that, because it asks the it asks our heroes to step up their game. You well, can't just be, hmm? to to get to our you know you guys making me do my you know uh, my MCU homework. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's he was very Thanos like. You know, yeah, it's there's almost you could almost almost sympathize with, you know, with Thanos, you know, <laughs> or or find some redeeming qualities. It was sick, but you could, you know, and Thrawn was the same way. It's like, oh, he likes art, you know. <laughs> well, with, 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 with Thrawn, you could always see, OK, maybe there was a a turn of fate that made him go this because he is fanatically devoted to the emperor. That is one thing that. You can't deny about his character. And it's the reason why he's a bad guy. Because in order to serve the emperor, he will go and do whatever it takes. Uh, but it's that idea that even though he's being atrocious and nefarious and a villain, you don't hate him in the way that you would hate, say, like the Inquisitor in season one. He is mean and threatening and dangerous. Yeah. But I've, it's a different I've, level. Right I've there? read I've read several of the Zon books, the newer ones, mm -hmm. 
Um, and he he kind of outlines a picture of that character in this way. It's it's essentially told from his perspective. Um, so it's like he's the protagonist, and so of course he would be presented in that light, in you know because it's his story. So we're seeing things from his perspective, um, and. I kind of really appreciate that you guys got a sense of that from just from the show um, that he is meticulous and that he does have worthwhile characteristics about him and that he does, he's doing what he believes is the right thing for the galaxy. Um, and it's, he's a really interesting guy, a really interesting character to, to read about um and he you know he comes through in the, in this show in the same way he's just really interesting mm -hmm. so for me i think the biggest surprise i had it was a surprise then when you got to thinking about it i was like okay it's not so much of a surprise was uh how powerful ezra became between season two and season three and it totally makes sense because he's been spending all this time with the sith holocron you know and you think back to luke's you know, is the, is the dark side stronger? And Yoda's like, no, which means, yeah, I mean, it is, <laughs> you know, it's it maybe not stronger, but it is, he's right. You know, it's quicker. It'll get you, you know, it's like taking steroids. You're going to get strong quick and you're going to get, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's not going to do you much good. Um, but I mean, just to see him, so it's kind of offsetting, like I said, in the first episode, to see him flipping around and, you know, being all, you know, like Jedi mastery, you know, after, you know, we're only in the third season. So that was a big surprise. Um, but, um, so but remember my, the, the path to the dark side is quicker and easier. That's what I mean. That's why I said it was a surprise. And then when I thought about it, you know, wasn't so much. Um, so it's, it's an interesting, you know, point that they were making there. Um, so of all of these, uh, by the way, I, this wasn't on our talking points. Is this this is the season because we have the Antilles and the, the the Antilles extraction? So we get wedge, and we learn AP five. This is the season where we learn what they call a Star Wars toilet, right? They call <laughs> it the, of the fresher. The fresher. And we see <laughs> we see wedge taking a leak, and AP five comes up to talk to him. Is that that's which episode is that? Oh, I think that's the one where they all go and they leave him behind for the. Oh, it's the, it's the double agent droid. Is that yeah, the one? Yeah, I mean, the warhead, I, warhead. I remember. I just like was like said, "Oh my good lord, really? We're seeing Wedge take a leak, and really, we're calling it the fresher." Okay, is so maybe that's we'll get to that here in a little bit. But uh, okay, so let's. Uh, Go around the horn. Fredo, we'll start with you. What was your, uh, if you had to pick three episodes, you could only watch three episodes on a desert island, which ones would you go to in this season? Uh, okay, this season for me. Uh, and in no particular order, just. Okay, no favorite. particular order. Okay, so one, Trials of the Dark Saber. I love the way that episode plays. And it's interesting because I'm not necessarily, I'm not going to include the follow up to it because that's, which as you would think, that's the one that. Uh, no, you would include that as well. But Trials of Dark Saber does such a tremendous job of getting us into the mindset of Sabine as a character, but also it does a great job of teaching us about Jedi and teaching us about, um, and so, you know, about how to 
help somebody through a crisis or how to help somebody through trauma because Sabine is dealing with trauma. We're talking about the dark aspects of the season and the dark aspect for Sabine's character is that she's dealing with this guilt and shame of having been such a product, such a genius that she invented weapons that got turned against the, uh, against the Mandalorians and that her family, uh, instead of sticking with her, cast her aside. So uh, that whole sequence where Kanan is training her, I think it's some of the best writing Filoni's ever done. So that one definitely. And then uh, I'm going to include the two for Ghost of Geonosis. Just because I love the idea of going back to the Clone Wars, the very start of the Clone Wars, and showing us the dynamics within the Rebel Alliance. There's, you know, we're talking about how Ezra in this season's flirting with the dark side. And there's not just the, the Rebels and the Empire, but even within the Rebels, there's a faction that follows, you know, kind of like Hera's path, which is honorable, trying to good to people, etc. There's more Saul, which is the ends justify the means. And there's a point in there where you start thinking, okay, you know, will Ezra side with Saul or with uh, Kanan and Hera? But it's more along the lines of, okay, there's not, even within the good guys, there's, there's some that are not as good, but they're justified for feeling the way they feel. But the idea of how much can you take that hate and that anger that you carry within you, how much you let that hurt the world around you? Because Saul is willing to uh, torture and beat up Click-Clack and threaten him with basically the destruction of his species if he doesn't get what he wants. So there are far more adult episodes than I think a lot of people give him credit. So those are the three. Cool. Dave? Yeah. Um, twin Sons. Uh, it's perfection to me. Um, we could talk a lot about why or why not and i know um i know it's not necessarily um a hundred percent a rebel story <laughs> um but it's just a really well told story um and as a one-off i'm i'm okay with that uh i i love um this you know this might surprise you because you were just talking about the episode with the fresher and you know that kind of thing you're rolling your eyes at it I love Double Agent Droid. I love that episode so much. Um, you get to you get to understand um, Hera's relationship with her droid a little bit better, and and how passionate. Like you don't see her mad. Oh, don't usually. get me wrong. I I, I I like the episode too. It was fun. Okay. And I think I love AP Five. Yeah. I just, I just I was like, wow, we're seeing Wedge Antilles take a leak. And, you know that was so. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to like, though, despite the, the fresher sequence, which I still laughed at, despite myself. I still laughed in that sequence, because they're like, AP5, completely clueless, you know, can't dissuade him from, you know, trying to communicate. Um, I love AP5. Uh, he and Chopper do the whole Laurel and Hardy thing better, maybe, than R2-D2 and C-3PO did. Um, that might be a controversial statement, but I think they're both hilarious in their individual ways. Um, the fact they're able to give Chopper such a personality um, is is really impressive in and of itself. But I love learning more about just how important he is to Hera here 
and and that just you know um, that gives her character a little bit more depth as well. Um, and that sequence with AP five at the very end of the episode where he's in floating in space singing and <laughs> singing with like the space butterflies or whatever. And uh, he's like, I am finally at peace. I am finally happy. And, uh, and then they swoop in and quote unquote rescue him. And it's so perfect. I, I don't think I've ever laughed harder at a moment in star Wars than that. Um, so I love that episode. Um, it's, it's so funny. And then I would say one of the zero hours, since I have to limit it to three, um, I, I like them both. Um, I think the, it's fair to link. I think it's fair yeah. to say parts one and two. Yeah. Um, it just, we got, we got a conclusion to the, well, not again, not a, a definitive conclusion, but we got a wrap to the stories that we've told in this season, right? Uh, Thrawn has been trying to ensnare the rebels all season. So we finally got conclusion to that story. Um, we got a little bit of um, retribution for the uh, Mandalorians um, and they were able to swoop in and save the day. And I loved that. Uh, and then of course, uh, Bendu, like we had been wondering where was his story going to lead? And um, it was funny because he was talking about, you know, I am in the middle, you know, and he repeats that so many times. And then at one point, Kanan like throws it back in his face. Yeah, I know you're you're gonna say you're in the middle, and uh, and my my wife she says uh, he's stuck in the bendu with you, you know, stuck <laughs> in the middle with you. And I just lost it laughing because like that was it, and 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 it's almost as if the writers were kind of poking fun at themselves at that point. It was like, well, this is an interesting idea. This this character who does not interpret the force that these other characters do, but you have to eventually develop that idea and have to actually take it somewhere. Um, or else it's just, it becomes kind of, you know, self parody uh, eventually. And so um, I just, I appreciated that they didn't um, make us wait longer for that. I think that wasn't a really appropriate way and time uh, to uh, to have Ben do uh, jump off the sidelines finally. And can I say real quick, I love the, uh, okay, first of all, I love the representation of his power in that episode, but also just a little last uh, McClunky you to Thrawn that it gets yeah. together when he tells him that he sees how he's going to end. I think that's just beautiful. So uh, I, my three won't take too long because you guys have talked about them them all. There's not much more to say, but it's going to be Trials of the Dark Saber. I think that is one of the best acted episodes in this entire series, not just this season. Um, Tia Sakara did just awesome in in that episode, um, and I would think that would be tough. I mean, when it's you know animation, um, but she did just incredible job in that. Um, and I, it's just a really well-written story as well. Um, the uh, Twin Sons, that's going to be one I'm going to watch. Um, 
even though it gets a little Lord of the Ringish, you know, with Ezra just walking through the desert for so long, it's like, how long can we stretch this out? Um, my favorite part in that whole episode, though, is when Chopper is doesn't want to go wandering through the desert, and Ezra's like, just okay, you know, I'll go. You go find, you know, go find base or whatever. And Chopper looks right, he looks left, he looks right, and he goes, yeah, I mean, he exhales in frustration a droid does and you know you talked about chopper you know i at when i when first started watching rebels i was kind of annoyed by him and i he's one of my favorite characters in that in this series um i just think they do such a good job with him and then i'm going to pick the 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 zero zero hour um parts one and two um it, it felt like everything was just they did a good job of just building to that finale better than they did in season one or season two. You know, I just think they, they, everything was building to those moments. Um, so anyway, like I don't have, those are, those are mine that I'm going to be going to. Um, okay. Can, can, then can I mention since we're taking two first, yeah, one, yeah. I'll mention one more, the last battle, which is interesting because at first time I saw it, I didn't like it per se. I was like thrilled, but the more I go back to it, the more I appreciate it for what it does. That idea of, you know, that the droids are still programmed to fight and that Rex's instincts immediately is like, clankers, I got to fight them. So all of a sudden they get caught in a position where they have to reenact for all intents and purposes a battle during the Clone Wars. And that then in the middle of all that, the Empire shows up and that the droids and the clones end up turning to fight them together. So I love I love the idea ultimately at the end that, uh, that they tell Rex is that he, he found the answer that neither the Jedi in all the wisdom, that nor the uh, Republic and all their grandiose nature could, you know, that, uh, what's his name, that uh, Ezra, you know, Rex tells Ezra, he found a way to bring peace between these factions. You really learn to, the thing with that, I like that Ezra was the person who sort of mm -hmm. found the solution for everyone and was able to, uh, find a better way, so to speak, because like his his arc was so up and down. You're like, oh, he's he's going dark side. Oh, okay, okay, he's he's on the right track again. That's what I was gonna <laughs> say. Is that that was the, I, I agree with you, but that was the frustrating thing about it, is like the he in one episode he'll do something that's just great, and then it's like the next episode he's a dumbass again. You know, it's <laughs> like, but but again, you got teenager. Yeah, he's a teenager. It's just they're dumbasses. So, um, <laughs> one so moment they're wise, the next they're not. So, what's one episode you could do without? I'm going to start this one off and see if you guys agree with me. Iron Squadron. Um, I think the only reason why this uh, episode exists is because they needed somebody piloting the ship in season four. Because <laughs> that's the only character that sticks around. The other two are, you know, gone. Um, they just needed somebody to pilot the ship in season four. So it's just. It doesn't really do anything for me. The only thing I like about that episode is that uh, we get a little more background on S Commander Sato, and and then his sacrifice later on, I guess, would take on a little more poignancy as a result. But um, yeah, it's it's not a very good episode. I think I'm with you. I think I think the issue with it is it's not well acted. 
I think you talk about trial, uh, Trials of the Dark Side being so well acted. I think Iron Squadron suffers because it's just not well acted. And you just want to go, you know, that, you know, we're talking about teenagers. Here's one where you want to grab all the kids and just, you know, spank them and just chuck them in the, into your ship and get out of there. Because you're like, this could be solved in five minutes and the kid could see reason. But Well, I think, yeah, I think, Dave, your point is is right. That uh, so, Fredo, were you saying this is this is yours throwaway? Uh, no, 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 no. Okay. Was, no, go but ahead. I'll say this about that episode, though. I think they were they had good intentions and a good idea, and then it's like they ran out of time, and nothing got nothing got paid off because yeah, they tried to set up this whole link to Sato, and then it goes nowhere, um, and they. Uh, yeah, so it just seems like it's just kind of a throwaway. It is cool that we see the out, you know, the type of ship that is the Outrider, you know. So this is a, this is a very uh, tip of the hat to Zahn this this season. But anyway, uh, go ahead, Fredo. What's your what's your toss? Uh, probably for me, it's gonna be Double Agent Droid. Even though I love that they they went and used Ralph McQuarrie's original three PO designs for the uh, secret droid that they're sending to destroy uh to try to detect the rebel bases i just find that it's one of those that it's you know it doesn't i, move think, we're, I think we're confusing episode because warhead is the one with the oh, i'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, no no yeah double agent droids the one where uh where ap5 chopper, yeah, yeah chopper and hp5 and you know they have to uh you know he gets take was it taken over i mean i love the fact that Hera sends the signal because it shows you she values chopper yeah. yeah, yeah, you're seeing a warhead, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, I may be thinking of warhead, but yeah. So yeah, let me say warhead instead. I like the idea of the droid design. I like the concept. I just find that it's very much uh, let's bumble and have fun for a while before. Oh crap, we gotta get serious for the last ten minutes. Well, we, we crap. We haven't given Zeb anything to do all season long, so let's give him something to do. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I I did love the Macquarie nod and like. You know, taking inspiration from that that original drawing and and making it into something other than C three PO, I I love that. And again, they did that throughout the entire season. The you know the spiders on you know chopper mm -hmm. base and stuff. So a lot of Macquarie. Cannon's yeah. lightsaber. Yeah, mm -hmm. that was the sign. That was taken from a Ralph Macquarie early design. So uh, Dave, you mentioned the Ben. What Dave has to mention this episode. Yeah, he did. Well, I pretty much agree with Iron Squadron, but if you okay. want me to throw a different one in the mix, um, I, I'm not a big fan of the Antilles Extraction, which was the one where they were trying to recruit um, Empire pilots, um, and, and and they brought Wedge into the fold, and I guess it's a nice story, and you you kind of you understand the importance of the story within the context of rebels. They needed to bring pilots and they had to figure out a way to recruit pilots. Um, I just, I guess it felt really ham fisted to me that it, we constantly have uh, the crew of the ghost going undercover in the Imperial ranks. And like every time that it happens after about, after about season two is, over with one they go undercover again and it's always ezra sabine pretty much well that's the, uh, 
That's a great line. That's a great line from Canaan, like that says, "Why do they keep letting us steal these things?" You know, I think that's in season two. I think. Yeah. 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 yeah when they talk, when he and Rex are talking about the uh, the shuttle, the Imperial shuttle, it's like, "Wait, is that a new one?" No, I thought it was the same one. Yeah. Why do they keep letting us steal these things? Uh, all right. So, Dave, you mentioned the Bendu. Let's talk about the Bendu. Um, why? Why is he here? Did uh, what's what do we think he is? Um, and that might be just a whole separate episode. But uh, I guess, you know, I, I, to me, I was kind of thrown off a little bit when we first get the Bendu. I kind of like the idea. I like that they use the term Bendu because um, that's one of the, you know, original, one of the things from George Lucas's original, you know, draft. Um, but um, I mean, He's 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 kind of a, a guide to he's he's kind of Kanan's Yoda, um, in a way, because um, Kanan's been walking around without really anybody to guide him at all, and you know he's he's lost his he's lost his sight he's you know really deflated he's you know seems like he's lost his purpose, and. The and the, even though the Bendu is saying I'm the one in the middle, I'm the one in the middle, and it kind of frustrates people, but I think it's setting up this idea of that Star Wars has been going after that idea of balance, that you don't need to be afraid of dark and you don't need to overly embrace light. You know, it's that you know almost creating a gray Jedi type of uh, scenario, but. Um, I don't know, I'll throw it to you guys. What what did you think of? Did you like the Bendu? Did you think it was? Yeah, go ahead. What talk about Bendu? He he gives you the opportunity to do. Well, we talk about this is one thing that we've uh, we were talked about with Rise of Skywalker. Um, when you when you bring the big bad into the mix, it gives you the opportunity to do more interesting things with your protagonists. It's just like, cause there's that, that evil force is off, you know, that they can all sort of play off of. Right. Um, and in the same way, Bendu um, acts as like this sort of a bouncing off point for Kanan. Um, we, you don't. You can give Kanan a crisis of fate, it, faith if you didn't have a way to bring him back. Um, and so, I think within that context, I'm 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 really thankful for him as a, as a like a storytelling element that that he's there um, to serve Kanan's story so do, so well. Do you think he would? Do you think Bendu was? like a native to that planet was he on that planet or was he a manifestation of the force given to Kanan at the time that he needed it that's kind of a deep question you know because because yeah. either either i mean they'd been on chopper base you know before and Kanan got you know didn't get any you know we got no hint of the bendu but you know i I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards it was Kanan again. He's Kanan needed a teacher at that at that point, and I think the Force sent well, Bendu to him. I would ask you another question: Is he even alive? Is it somebody who's passed on into the 
into death because we've seen that force ghosts can interact with the you know the real world um you know freaking yoda you know launches a lightning bolt at the jedi temple and burns the tree down um so you know i that call that that question gets called to mind for me um i i think we're not meant to know it's meant to be sort of um well, we know it's we know it's not a like anything in his head uh, right. because because Ezra interacts with him um, and Thrawn interacts with him as as Fredo mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. So um, so that makes it interesting in that respect. Um, I don't know, Fredo. What are your what are your thoughts on uh, Bendu? First of all, I, I love the character. He's got almost it's 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 an interesting dynamic that he brings. And his character's played almost like Yoda, but the Yoda that we meet on Empire. You know, the kind of off-kilter, kind of kooky, not really all there, there. Kind of get smart. off my lawn, Jedi, yeah. Yeah, kind of get off my lawn, you know, but but being uh, curmudgeonly, or a curmudgeon. And, uh, but doing it because there's a depth to him, he's trying to test and assess the person in front of them at all times. Uh, I, so I love his character from that aspect. It's interesting because when we start thinking, no, discussing the Jedi, the Sith, the Force in Star Wars, all we're ever presented by and large is the duality of the light and the dark, the Jedi and the Sith, and that's it. And they're always at war. And what I love about Bendu is that it introduces the concept that the Force is much bigger than just the dogma of the Jedi and the dogma of the Sith. It's much bigger, it's a greater mystery, it's a bigger dynamic, and uh, that they may not all have all the answers, or that just because you tap into the Force doesn't mean you automatically have to go Jedi or Sith. And so it creates, it creates an interesting new element for Star Wars to consider, because we're gonna see characters like uh, Ahsoka basically kind of go down that path of not being a Jedi, be using the force, but not necessarily following the hundred percent path of light. Um, and even character, you know, even Luke in Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker starts mentioning elements of uh, teachings that could fall into kind of how the Bendu sees some of these things. Well, and so your mm -hmm. your your point is again going back to what I what I was talking about the uh, overall idea of the season, how everybody's. You know, it's it's very much into the dark side. But your your point, and and also how we've talked about Ezra being, you know, a a teenage, you know, right now, and he's growing into the Force. And actually, everybody's they've kind of lost their way and they're trying to grow into. And it's everybody had these preconceived notions of what they should be. And I think the Bendu is saying, you know. You have well, like we said, chuck those expectations at the door. You know, mm -hmm. it's not just because you think that is the path. I mean, there's there's more to it. Um, but I think it's interesting that they threw the Bendu into this season because it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. You know, and so it'd be one thing I'd want to ask. You know, Filoni, why would you? Yeah, okay, you know that Kanan needs somebody to guide him, but there's a bigger story that he's obviously trying to tell. With, through that character um and i it's like all, i think it's i'm sorry i think it's breaking our like fredo was saying our preconceived notions of you're either a jedi 
or you're Sith. You're either really good or you're really bad. And I think that's actually we've talked about it before. That's I mean, the Jedi failed because they embrace the light as much as the dark side. The Sith embrace the dark. But go ahead, Dave. Well, Filoni has not been afraid to uh, venture into those waters before um, because you had the, the, the father, the son, and the daughter uh, in Clone Wars, um, and you had the Night Sisters. Um, you had Yoda's um, attempts to, um, you know, get into the um, learn the the path to the afterlife, um, and he was interacting with other Force beings at that point. So there's a lot of mysticism that Filoni has never been one to like necessarily shy away from, um, and so like within that sense. Um, like it's very on brand for him. It's, it's not an easy thing to wrap your arms around either. Cause if you're talking about deep philosophical issues, um, you're often chasing your own tail in those sorts of discussions. Cause you're just like, well, am I, am I, am I actually learning anything by engaging in this sort of, um, you know, thought process or not? And I, and I love that, Again, I'll go back to my point with the final episode of the season where he, he pokes fun at himself, where he's like, I'm in the middle, you know, and it's like, not, stop being in the middle. <laughs> Show us who you really are. Well, you that's, know? that's uh, the, the point of eventually, um, and that's what Kanan tests him at. So eventually you've got to choose your side. Yeah. You know, eventually you have to, You, I mean, you you can't just be neutral. I mean, it's the United States, you know, World War Two. you know, um, we're, 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 we're going to, we're not going to do anything about it. You know, the uh, gray areas from Futurama. Tell my wife I said hello. But you know, the, the other thing is, um, oh, well, you know, th there's a lot of force stuff going on and actually expanding the lore of the force um, in this season, because you've got, you know, Ezra and Thra and, uh, Maul, you know, uh, at the beginning of the season, you know, connecting their minds, you have, um, the night sisters stuff that came up, which is, that's a cool episode. It's all, you know, like the, the basically Sith witches, if you will. Um, you know, so you have that aspect of the force, you have the Bendu. Um, so I the think, holocrons. The the holocrons. Holocrons. you know, yeah. I think, I think I think Filoni was taking everybody again. Just thought the, you really only had a couple force powers. That was it, and it's supposed to be used for good. And he's expanding of what it what it can be. Um, it's very much, you know, people. You know, the deities that people worship. It's like, you know, uh, is is the god that the Native Americans worship different from the god that a Christian? worship and it could be argued that no it's just two different ways to you know communicate or you know that god is bigger than you know this one ideal um, that's getting way deep here i mean another beer for this but I, I think that's what filoni was doing with all of these aspects it wasn't just the bendu it's all these things that he was like saying the force is bigger than what you learned about in a new hope um, and i th and i think that's part of what makes i mean He's expressing all of this through Ezra because, you know, season one, he is new to it all. Season two, he's under the careful stewardship of Kanan. But because of what happens in Twilight of the Apprentice, 
he's left on his own devices for a while. So, yeah. you know, and with, with the Sith Holocron, with the calls, you know, the connections he's got with Maul, he is exposed to a lot more than he ever would have, uh, you know, at this point in his journey. So he's having to come to make choices much sooner than he would have to, which in a way, it's also indicative of a young person in a war. You know, young people in war are forced to face life experiences and make life or death decisions way younger than they perhaps should ever have to, but it happens. And uh, it's a good way to describe it, you know, through Ezra's character, through the growth that Ezra does. And yeah, sometimes he messes up, sometimes he makes the right path, but it's the overall journey that he's going on that's the important aspect for him. So the uh, the next question, this will be pretty quick because, uh, well, first of all, uh, you guys already kind of alluded to this. Um, I, I will say I read Heir to the Empire, but I, that's as far as I went because it just was not, at the time when it came out, it just was not my, wasn't my Star Wars. It's, I have nothing against it and I have not revisited. I probably should. Um, but so, But I did know Thrawn. I did know, you know, that character. Um, but you guys have both read, I think, the Thrawn trilogy, right? Um, you're reading other things. So did did the did the character that they brought on to Rebels, did it live up to your expectations? Dave? Um, well, when I first watched Rebels, I had not read uh, anything with Thrawn in it. I'd only like heard everything secondhand. So like that caveat, um, uh, I, right. so he, 2020, he, hindsight is twenty twenty, yeah. right? So he go had ahead. this. He had this reputation, though. Like he was such an important character, um, and I knew that he was the heir to the empire, and um, it was it was such a cool thing that, that when they decided to fold him in, people got so excited, and I was not immune to that either. I just thought, like, wow, this is awesome, and especially for fans who had just really loved those books you know i was really overjoyed for those fans because it just he's such an important character in that context but that yeah i mean that was it that was for me i mean it, now i've read some of the books i've looked you know I, i've got a, a firmer grasp on the character i think i think he's basically pitch perfect here um i, I think he's great so yes and yes. Uh, I've, already, <laughs> I've already waxed uh, lyrically about Thrawn. I had read Heir to the Empire when it came out. So seeing him brought to life on the screen, yeah, it felt very true to that character. Again, even the moments when he kind of loses his cool for a second, but then composes himself, that's all out of Timothy Scott's That's in the book. That is him. That's, that aspect of him being always in control, buttoned up, but always his mind is razor sharp and he's always thinking. And you could see why people respect and fear him because even though he never loses his composure or rarely loses his composure, he's always uh, motivated to achieving his goals. And he's ruthless, but he never comes off as being ruthless. He's In some many ways, uh, Moff Gideon is very much a, a character in the same vein as uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. He only gets outmaneuvered by things that he could have no contingency for. 
-hmm. Like if the he he sees all the chess pieces on the board, he understands what they are all capable of, and it's only when his troops don't follow his orders, or when the rebels spring something on him that he has absolutely no aware awareness of, like the Bendu, um, that he's able to be defeated. Which kind of goes to something that you know it's actually a flaw of his character, which. Because they we're seeing him at this point, and obviously, uh, Heir to the Empire happens. I don't know if it, you know, now it goes into the Legends canon. The character of Thrawn in Heir to the Empire and the sequels was aware of the Force because he served the Emperor. But the character of Thrawn that we meet in Rebels, I think the biggest time that he gets surprised by something is when it's Force related. It's something mm -hmm. that's, that's he's, he cannot connect because he's not connected to the Force in the way that Ezra or the Inquisitor were or Kanan were. So in other words, it's that's a side that he's blind to. And because of that, he's susceptible to be defeated by Ezra and Kanan using the Force in a way that, you know, topples his plans. Oh, he's he's an observer, you know. He's, you know, the classic Sherlock Holmes deductive reasoning. I see everything in front of me. And I can interpret it and act based on what I'm seeing. You can't see the force. Mm -hmm. So, exactly. yeah. It's, it's, it's like emotion. You know, that's the one uh, kryptonite for Sherlock Holmes. He can't see emotion. He can't uh, plan for it. So uh, last but not least, um, the, the uh, in Twin Sons, we get uh, the final showdown between Obi-Wan and Maul. Um, we get their 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 final duel. Um, so I just said I just had it was. Do you think it was perfect or do you think it was underwhelming? Because as for those of you, this is spoilerific here, but it's uh it's kind of like the old adage: there's going to be two hits, one me hitting you and you hitting the floor. You know, from you know <laughs> Breakfast Club. You know, there, but there were there was three hits by Obi Wan, right? And Maul is taken out. And I think me personally, I was like, oh, Maul and Obi-Wan, what's this duel going to be like? Or is he going to be flipping all around? And it was like, when that happened, I was like, what? And then I was like, oh my God, that was awesome. You know, it was like, it took me totally by, that's it? But then I was like, that's the way it should be. So for me, my vote is that was perfect. It showed Obi-Wan at his best. You know, it was just like, and I mean, I loved it that there was the, you know, you had the callback. They showed him, you know, in his stance that it, that is in uh, episode three. Um, but then he also gets in the stance of Qui-Gon from, mm -hmm. from episode one. And, you know, I guess we could talk about that. Was he suckering Maul in? Like, I'm going to sucker him into this and then I'll know how to take him out. I don't know. But then just like I said, three hits and Maul's done. I, I think it showed... You know, it just showed how masterful he he was at that moment. So I I'm a, I'm I'm in the perfect category. So I'm in the perfect category as well. Uh, first of all, the first time they dueled, Obi Wan was still a Padawan, and Maul was at his physical peak. The various duels that they had during the Clone Wars, whenever they encounter one another, um, they were not at you know Obi Wan was still learning. So it's interesting that they meet at this point where you would say Obi-Wan is older. Well, he's definitely older. 
but it's also his his knowledge of the force has increased to his to probably its peak. So he's in terms of being able to get into a twenty minute lightsaber swinging duel, he probably can't you know won't be able to do that too well with somebody like Maul. I mean, he struggles with Vader, you know, when they're going at it at the death zone. But in terms of character wise and story wise and describing who these characters are at this point. I think there's the perfect resolution for the both of them. We know Obi-Wan's going to win because he's got to win. We know that Maul is not going to walk away from this. So as opposed to giving us this epic whole episode duel that would have taken forever, I think this one does it perfectly by honoring where the characters are at this point and giving them the moment to kind of, you know, bury everything and all the, all the hate that they have between them. I mean, I agree with both of you. I, I, I think it's perfect as is um, for a lot of the reasons you guys have outlined. It's They're old. They're old men. They're not at their peak for that reason alone. Obi-Wan would want to end it as quickly as possible. And he doesn't want to mess around either because like, he's still got a job to do. He still has to protect Luke. Um, and it, that was how Maul baited him into the conflict in the first place. It's like, oh, you're here for a reason, are you? Okay, now I'm going to cut you down. Um, whereas before, maybe I was looking for a peaceful resolution. I, I thought their wordplay was just as wonderful as the duel itself. And I agree, I, I think that he was baited. Uh, Maul was baited into attacking the way that he was. Because if you notice uh, on the finishing move, uh, he's going for the head... Um, headbutt essentially with the hilt of the lightsaber that yeah. he went for against Qui-Gon. And instead of connecting, he was sliced cut in two. <laughs> I mean, Obi-Wan was ready for it. He'd seen it before. Um, and I think he had baited him into that uh, particular move and uh, Maul paid for it with his life. And uh, um, yeah, yeah, I was with you, Aaron. I was surprised by the brevity of it at first. But again, you think about it for five seconds and you're like, that's perfect. But, you know, it's it's kind of like uh, uh, it, it's kind of like Peyton Manning at the end of his career that Peyton Manning couldn't throw a long ball to save his life. He could barely throw, you know, a mid range ball. But he was the smartest player on the field wherever he went and he knew how to pick apart defenses. He knew, I mean, so his, his power was not in his arm, but was in his, in his mind. I think that's, as we talk about the Kenobi series coming up, that's why I hope that series is all about him growing in the force and communing with Yoda and, and learning how to become the Jedi master that he, you know, that he should be. And because, like I said, that's you, you. Like I said, Peyton Manning loses the strength. It's going to be the same thing with Drew Brees, Tom Brady, that they're going to be able to play as long as they have their legs underneath them. You know, they're going to be able to play because they know how to, you know, how to work defenses. And that's what Obi Wan did: is that he he just he knew how to play mall. I so, agree with that. Um, 
But I was, like I said, I was, I thought it was, but the thing that's painful is that you have to get through that entire episode to that <laughs> last like two minutes because the last two, the guy who they got to voice um, Obi-Wan was spot on. Holy cow. You know, that was, that was, I was nervous about that when I knew that Obi-Wan was going to be in Rebels. I was like, ugh, you know, because I know Alec Guinness, but then it was like, that sounds like Alec Guinness, you know? So, um, it, it just, it just worked. Um, it's easy to parody it, but it's very hard to nail it. Yeah. And by God, he did it. Um, you know, there's some. Uh, in that episode, if we just want to talk about that, I, I like how the, the, you know, they had the Tuscan Raiders. I mean, if you're going to go to Tatooine, you might as well bring back all the hits, right? Uh, do back. And <laughs> and the, the end of that episode was just awesome as well. When you got, you know, little Luke running from, you know, being called in by Aunt Peru. Oh, it was a pretty emotional uh, one. Um, but it was awkward when Maul said, is he the chosen one? Do we does does Maul reference the Chosen One at all in Clone Wars or anything like that? I, I, didn't, I didn't think so. That's why it, that part right there when Maul says, "Is he the Chosen One?" and Obi Wan says, "Yes." But then it's interesting because when then he says he will avenge us, so is he telling? Is he thinking he's the Chosen One that's going to avenge the Sith? Where did he pick that up? Did he pick I, that I, up? I think I think he, what he's saying there is that he's going to avenge everybody who's been screwed over by Palpatine. Oh, yeah, you know, okay. I, yeah, I, that's how I read that. Yeah, I, mean, I it, think that's what he meant. But yeah, it it reeks. It, it's a little odd in that sense. Like we don't know that he knows of the prophecy, but then again, he's been messing with these holocrons, so. It's it's not like a stretch to think that he would gain knowledge through that. He's he's been nosing around temples and holocrons and things and trying to figure sure. things out. So, um, you know, I think I'm okay with it just in a, from that perspective. So, in the last almost two hours, we've gone from Dolly Parton to beer to. Um, all the way through Rebels season three. So this has been a journey. Um, but I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. Any final thoughts on season three before we sign off, guys? I, I think it's like I said, I think it's one of my favorites. So same here. I think uh it's interesting, you know, you've gone such a long way from season one. And I find in some ways two and three tend to be the strongest seasons for me. There's bigger High, well, there's some bigger highs and high deeper lows in season four coming, but I think you know, top to bottom, I think two and three are kind of like the peak of the show. I, I think you're right, and in, in just from overall excellence perspective, you know, from episode to episode, uh, two and three are really the meat of the series, but man, four is. I'm an emotional wreck. <laughs> yeah, there. So, we'll get there. We'll get there. 
All right. Well, hey, thanks for hanging with us and listening once again. Remember, you can find us on Podbean. You can find us on Apple and Google Podcasts. Uh, we are on Twitter, um, three of us and the podcast itself. Um, uh, so tell your friends about us. Um, engage us on Twitter. If you want to talk about Star Wars, it's always a good distraction from work. Um, and uh, other than that, everybody stay healthy and happy and uh you know please spread the away uh, yeah we don't need it one can go maybe maybe the pressure systems will just bounce off of each other and it'll send them you know opposite directions we you know yeah so uh one day at a time there i suppose so um but with that we will sign off and say who dat who dat who dat the Saints are in training camp right now, so everybody knock on wood that they stay healthy as well. Um, but until next week, have a good one. My